Hello everyone and welcome to the Digital Digital Dissects podcast. Uh, on this po- podcast we talk about all things digital from design and delivery to culture and business goals. My name is Dave and I'll be your host on our journey through the digital world and I'll be interviewing and speaking to experts throughout the industry about their knowledge, experience and what they see happening in the near future when it comes to digital trends. I'll be asking lots of questions so I'll hopefully be your guide as we pick the brains of industry experts from all around the digital world. Today we have James from Pixeltree who has taken some time out to talk about their design processes and collaborating with other businesses. Hi James. Hi Dave, you okay mate? Uh, I'm great mate, I'm great. Uh, Good to see you again. I'm Jude. Uh, Why don't you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and about Pixeltree the company? Yeah okay so uh, a little bit about me so as you as you rightly said I'm James Uh, company is Pixeltree and Pixeltree has been going as a company for well coming up 10 years so we're we're just about to approach our 10th year in business Um, from a personal perspective I've been into sort of technology web design right from being uh, probably 11, 12, I used to work on a tool called Macromedia uh, Dreamweaver, which had fireworks and flash back then. Um, so I've been into it from, from a very young age and was designing kind of websites way back uh, in Dreamweaver for some quite big companies, actually. Um, not to a great coding standard, but actually from a design perspective, they were pretty good at the time. Uh, and it's something that then I progressed through to, to university, actually dropped out of university and set in my third year and set up pixel tree uh, instead as a, as a kind of way of, of moving into the kind of industry if you like uh, at the time there was there was very limited opportunity within design agencies i was doing a lot of freelance work for agencies in around northwest and beyond uh, and then just saw an opportunity to to set up on my own um had a little big bank of clients that we could work with and and yeah i've grown it from there really so that's a little bit about myself from a pixel tree perspective we're an experienced design agency so we've gone i guess full tilt really in the sense that we started very much in the early days as graphic design um, and that was because i'd come from a graphic design type background and then moved very quickly into web so um Again, going back to kind of the, the, the origins of what I was talking about before, uh, very much an, an easy transition from graphic to what was then basic web design, if you like, um, through to what we are now, which is probably more in the, well, it's definitely more in the product design environment as opposed to just web design. So although we, we do cover the design of e-commerce platforms and websites, a lot of the work we do now is more on digital products. So that could be apps, dashboards, portals, that sorts of uh, types of, of platform. And I'm really focusing on particularly um, the, the the design and user experience element of it as opposed to the the elements that you guys do which is more of the um the development and build side of things yeah obviously and that's why we know each other isn't it uh, quite well absolutely yeah yeah absolutely i didn't know that you you uh had like a little go at development back in your youth uh, i wasn't aware of that yeah yeah I, I guess that's where i start i mean for me when i was yeah i was probably 10 or 11 so it was definitely the early years of, of secondary school um I didn't understand the difference. It felt like all one and the same then, you know, you, especially with a tool like Dreamweaver, you were able to almost design as you were coding. The code was written for you as you were designing. Then it was kind of for you to delve into the kind of code and, and make things happen and fix things. Um, so it felt like one and the same. And it was only really when, uh, which I guess is uh, is how a lot of people started as well. It, it was, you know, very much a kind of coders would design and designers would code and they would probably, there would be a lot of overlap. And then as as obviously you start to enter industry and you start to see the real world and that there is actually two branches here that there's developers who are very much skill set are in writing back end or front end code. And then there's the, the um, sorry, developers and there's designers there that, you know, 
are basically there to to map out um, research and understand user pain points and try and, and map out a, a user experience uh, as a whole and then project, present that in terms of visuals and, and prototypes then that was for me where my natural instincts lay and, and still and still um, lie but yeah very much had a uh, well two or three years of doing it really and, and actually built uh i don't know if i can mention customers here but back then my dad worked for a company called the Mil manchester building society i worked in the work experience for them when i was uh, 12 i think or 13 and then went on to, to design and develop one of their uh, mortgage application submission uh, submission platforms that allowed brokers to submit um, decisions in principle essentially to, to the builder society which would then be approved and a decision in principle would be made so that was one of the big jobs that i worked on when i was when i was younger oh, that's really cool yeah and something i didn't know about you i thought yeah you stuck to that design and you're right it is a very different skill set isn't it um but yeah, okay, I've brought you on to talk about design. So why don't we just smash into that? You've already talked about what your background and how much, what, like how you steered yourself into that. Uh, I'm going to kind of go off the wheel and start with the negatives. Okay. What are the problems you see with most designs that don't succeed? Obviously, when people come to you, if they've had a problem or even just products that you see in the wild that don't do their job, what are the main problems? Yeah, I think, I mean, particularly in, in the UK, um, I think around sort of Central and Eastern Europe, this this is actually a lot a lot better. But I think as a, as a whole, the the UK, um, no one was going to like to hear this, but we do lag behind a little bit in the way that we approach design. I think if you look at people intrinsically or companies intrinsically, um, you know, less so agencies, but definitely companies that have internal design, and they probably focus too much on, on the user interface than they do the user experience. So that's predominantly where problems are. You might have these beautiful looking websites or apps or, or platforms, dashboards, portals, you know, whatever the, the product is, but no one's actually really thought about the user experience. No one's actually spent time in the research phase. Um, no one's kind of conducted any usability testing. No one's conducted any um, really kind of like focus groups with customers. So so any any anything that interacts with customers at any time really should be tested with them i think and 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 actually spoken to them first to gather some some insight um, i think we potentially do that pretty poorly in the uk and and you know across the wider sphere of, of the world as well there are certain countries where i think this is done a lot better if you look at other industries for example like engineering that you know just would be unheard of to think about elon musk putting a car design together and not prototyping it and not test driving it or not testing the, 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 the stuff in in wind tunnels and that sort of thing it would just be unthinkable but with digital products it seems like that's the forgotten and so um actually i think that's predominantly where a lot of the problems lie is that when we have clients come to us and say this thing just isn't working whatever it is um it's, it's probably because there's either underlying issues that they kind of think are there but they've got nowhere to no way or nowhere to validate that um, or alternatively, they just simply don't know. They've got no idea as to why it's not working. The product, usually the product strategy is sound. You know, they've got a good idea. They've got a good product. It's just that they've now spent this money and this time on it. And unfortunately, it's not harnessing the, or not yielding the, the results that they expected, which to, to people in, in kind of non-design backgrounds in particular is, is probably um, quite disturbing. You know, they just expect for these things to happen. But then when you outline to them, okay, well, what was the research done? You know, what sort of, research methods did you use when was the testing done in the design phase none of that's been encountered the vast majority of the time that's where i think they the, the eyes wide open open you know quite widely and they're like ah we could have probably solved a lot of this if we just spent a little bit longer in that in that design phase 
Yeah, well, I, I think if, I, obviously you spoke quite passionately about that, but obviously yeah. in the digital sector, we just trust ourselves to get it right first time and then wonder why that doesn't always work, clearly. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough, isn't it? Because as a, you know, as a team of designers or developers, there is an element of, well, we'll have seen projects like this before. And so there's always an element of kind of collectively being able to harness the best practice or, or industry experience or product experience, sector experience, whatever you call it, and say, well, we've done this for X clients, so we know that Y will work. And, you know, that that's a, 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 a you know, that's what an agency is, is usually made up of as well, is that people can go to and buy the experience of that team, that collective team and say, right, we're going to pay you, you know, X amount for this project, but we're buying into a whole team of people who are industry experts. They know how to build this thing. Um, and there is an element of, of being able to kind of harness that, that best practice. But unfortunately, there aren't really too many products that are ever like for like exactly the same. There'll always be differences. There'll always be a different target audience, slightly different demographic. There'll be a slightly different case use for each of the products. And so even if you don't do the research side, which I would highly, highly advise, I think if you were to kind of jump into some sort of usability testing once the product's been designed and ask them to kind of complete missions on, on, the, on the app or the product, the website or whatever, with with a, an example target demographic, I think a lot of people would would find some of the flaws out much much earlier on than they've have you know spent then months going into the build and getting it all um, production ready, launching, and then finding out ah there's some kind of basic and fundamental issues here that we didn't foresee, which could render the project a complete failure, or you know it, it could be better optimized from the from the day from the get go. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense and. I'm going to ask another question, but I think you've touched on a few of them here, uh, and it's kind of almost the adverse to the other. So, what are the what are the main features you focus on to make a a good design process then versus these ones that fail? Yeah, I think it, it's it's like you say, it's completely the inverse of what we've just discussed. It's it's spending time. If I was to summarise it, it would be spending time with more time with more people. That would be it in a, in a, in, a, in a kind of simplistic form. And I know that that does sound very luxury to a lot of people, but you know, if, if you were what, you know, market research teams are specifically designed for this, they'll go and speak to people to find out what problems they're having in their lives or what problems they've got with existing products and then what, where the market gap lies. You know, we can, we can do a similar thing in the design process by conducting uh, user research. And there's various different forms of that. And I know we've not probably got the time to go into all of those today, but there's, there's, there's a plethora of different methods that you can, you can draw upon to, to get the right information that you need, dependent upon you know, what it is you're looking for. Um, and then from there, it's very much going into, I think, uh, workshop type formats. There's various different workshops that you can run, but essentially it should be following, at least in my opinion, the kind of um, design thinking formula. So, um, you know, essentially understanding what those from the research you've conducted, what are the pain points of the customer? What are the things that you're, over, you're trying to overcome in, in design? Um, and, and also, what are the business goals? Because they're not they're not kind of separate from all of this. Yes, there might be this problem that a customer's got, but also or a potential customer's got. But also, what does the business want to carry out? What does it need to carry out? What are the functions of this product you know intrinsically need to do? Um, and then from there. Uh, it, it's very much moving into kind of the workshop of trying to um, collaborative as, as a team, pulling in multidisciplines. So you know, not just spending time with marketing as, as good as they as they are at knowing the product or what the product needs to offer. It's looking at bringing people in from a, a customer, um, you know, a customer relations perspective. So someone who's on the ground dealing with customers. It might be finance, might be marketing, might be sales, might be managerial structure teams. All of which are involved in that workshop. So that 
we're looking at it from a 360 degree perspective and, and looking, okay, what are the biggest challenges? How do we overcome these challenges collaboratively and collectively? What are the solutions that people internally within the company come up with? Does that work? Does that not work? And then essentially going through to prototyping that solution, testing it from a very early perspective on a very early stage um, by usability testing and then iterating thereafter. So making sure that you take the feedback you've had from people and and kind of reviewing that in the cold light of day without any bias as to, well, we know they've said that, but at the end of the day, we think this, you know, that's that's your target demographic there. That's who you're going to be selling this product to. If that's what they're saying, they ain't wrong. Um, and finding, you know, finding solutions to overcome that before then moving into kind of the full UI design process and, and going through to development. Yeah. It must be difficult that sometimes sense. for you, James, to get all of those different players in the room from certain businesses. I know it'd be hard just getting internally that number from ours. Yeah, it is. And I think um, I, I was at... Uh, we, we went down to an expo in London um, and, and I did a talk there about basically the, the, the way to rapidly innovate products. And, and someone asked that exact question, you know, they'd said, we run this, uh, we, we run these internally for a company. They were a, a big um, FTSE 100 company and said, we have this team internally that runs these. We can't get the buy-in from people to, to actually, you know, to, to, to um, partake in these workshops because they see the time is too valuable. What would you do? And I said, just not, just don't run them. Um, and they said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, there's no point going through that process and getting 75% of people's time, you know, because you're, wa you're basically wasting the, the people who do turn up's time because there's three or four people who can't be bothered to make it into the room. But those three or four people typically who value their time above what you're doing will be the first ones at the last stage of the process to say, well, that's wrong and that's wrong and I don't think that's right and that should be. So if you, so it's just, it's basically a wasted time. So you may as well just say, well, actually can, when, when can you do? Uh, and we'll do it for them instead. And this is super, super important because, you know, at the end of this is gonna be this new product or this new service or this new app or or, or an optimized app or an optimized service, whatever it is that they're they're looking to, to, um, to create. And, they're going to have they're going to be targeted on it in one way shape or form if it's the owner of the company then then they're going to have a, a vested interest in it being a success so if they can't give up like one to two days then is the product worth moving forward with in the first place and and that is difficult to communicate i'm not saying you, you, that you know you communicate quite as, as bluntly as that but ultimately if if something's not worth two days of someone's time that's going to be a massive factor in the growth of this business in one way shape or form then you know potentially it's not it's not worth running with in the first place it mustn't mean that much to the company for the for the kind of main people that might be involved to, to give up you know a day or two of time yeah no you're absolutely right and it's just the tricky bit isn't it it's trying to na navigate all those calendars which with people that are busy but you're right they, they're not going to buy in and get involved and they're probably yeah, and I, I, the most necessary sometimes as well and I, i'm not saying that you know for, for every project you follow that process in an ideal world you would you know but but particularly when there's a big what I would call sort of high stakes project. So something that's going to, you know, really revolutionize the company or take them way above the competitors, or it's a new company that are going to launch a new application. Let's say they're a startup and they're going to, you know, if the app isn't right, then nothing, that, that's all they've got. Yeah. So if they can't, if they can't pull themselves into that, that two day workshop, for example, or whatever the workshop's going to be and give up that, that time, then, you know, arguably you, you could say, well, what's the point? You know, it, this, this, this is, the thing that you're all going to focus on so it needs to be right and we're giving up our time obviously they're paying us for that time but we're all making sure that others as a team are going to be there so we'd, we'd like you there because we want the very best output for, for you as a client yeah 
great. Uh, so we've spoke before, and obviously we're, we're quite close as businesses. You, your kind yep. of approach to stuff was kind of uh, inspired by a book, right? That's right, yeah. Um, so a lot of what I've talked about, um, I, I guess, for, for us, the, the real eye-opener was, uh, or, or for me personally, a, a friend recommended a book. Um, it was a, a book called Sprint by a guy called uh, Jake Knapp. And um, I read it the first time and I was like, yeah, this is, I was so busy. I was like, this this is great. I mean, this is sort of exactly what we need, except it just won't work in the real world. Um, and so dismissed it. And then I, I spoke to him again a couple of months later, just after Christmas it was, and he came back and said, did you, did you read that book? What did you think? I was like, yeah, yeah. He said, read it again. So I read it again. I was like, okay, I can kind of see how this works. And then I read it a third time when I was away on holiday. <clears throat> And I started to, with a little bit of less time pressures and, and you know, business commitments, I, I had time to think about how we could potentially structure um, a design sprint process into our business to, to kick projects off initially. And, and then it, it's kind of evolved over, over time. But, but essentially, yeah, we've, we've kind of built a process um, that we call our, our product sprint around the, the initial design sprint uh, process, which is, is a five-day process defined in the, in the book sprint, yeah. Yeah, I think it's really interesting when you talk to business leaders, especially in the tech space, how many books inspire like, mm -hmm. their thinking around not even just like what they're doing, but how they're running their businesses. Um, so I always love to hear like people have taken a like in your place a book that was about what you were doing and thought, God, yeah, these have got these have got some really valid points in here. I'm gonna yeah, I'm exactly. Gonna jump I mean, on them. There's so many. There's like you know from from businesses I know that um, have read books that help them pitch different ways through to how they've got a, a marketing funnel that they then, you know, like Hacking Growth, for example, is a great book for kind of learning how to just go about really measuring and optimizing marketing funnels or marketing strategies. There's so many good books out there for tech companies that you can read. Um, and then I know so many businesses that have almost built their entire business model around a book um, or, or adapted it. And, and we, definitely done that you know we've, we've changed the way that we worked and operated pretty much entirely based on thinking well these were the intrinsic problems we had as a business when kicking projects off and um, you know the lack of alignment from from stakeholders you know getting to the end of a project or near the end of a design phase and then people coming in last minute and saying well what about that and that you know that was always a massive problem for us which has just virtually disappeared because of this process and um, there's the certain things that you can just you just see a solution for and go okay well it's not perfect but it's, it's kind of there and we could implement that so i think that's that's what we did yeah yeah that's interesting do you find that you have any like kickback or difficulty with people when you lay out what is your quite robust plan and process and say this is what we believe we need to do because anyone's like god we don't need that and strip that out because they've got preconceptions or do most people get on board when they approach you and think yeah god these guys know what they're talking about yeah i think um in, in, it depends on on sort of size of company, project, personnel. It's obviously always very different. There's there's an ever growing number of people who've heard about the process now. Not that they ever really approach us because of that. It's not, mm. you know, we do get inbound inquiries because we rank quite well for the term. But you know, that's usually a, a select group of people who know about the process, who want that process run for them or facilitated, and so they'll they'll contact us. But a lot of the time. The problems are always the same. What we kind of don't say is, well, follow this this tried and tested design sprint process. You know, it's it's very much um, for us. We've we've built out our own product uh, sprint, which is a a, a big ad adaptation of that process, really, and essentially solves a lot of the problems that they come to us. So, so if there's an inbound um, client call, usually it'll you know usually 
the problems are always different, the challenges are always different, but essentially the same the same kind of key things come up time and time again. And this is where you can sort of say, well, the antidote to that is this, the antidote to that is that. Um, and it's trying to trying to fit their, or make them understand that the process you follow fits their needs and desires really. So um, there is some pushback definitely where people will say, I mean, and that on, on a lot of the cases, that's because they might have already done parts of it. So they might approach us and say, uh, well, we don't need that part because we've already done our own user research. Well, if you've done your own user research, fantastic. You know, that why why pay us to do it? Um, it's rare, but there are people who, who do do that already. Or we don't need that because we've already got wireframes made up. And that's the difficult one is, is well, if you've got that already, um, you've kind of jumped the gun in the in terms of the process a little bit. And that's where there's more education needed around. Have you, how, how have you structured those? Have they been structured from that base of, just someone sketching it at the back of a paper based on this is what we think it needs to do. And we've looked at competitor sites and kind of copied little bits from there. Or is it based on we've done some user research. We know that this is the core thing we want to get people to do. And we think this is the most effective way of doing that in the shortest you know, possible time. Um, so, so sometimes there is kickback. Yeah. And, and um, we're flexible. You know, if, if someone really doesn't want something, we're not going to force it on them or say, well, in which case we can't work together. Um, but we do try and push that. <laughs> we think this is a, a process that will work for you because it, it solves all of the outcomes that, that you want as a business. Nice. Uh, so another, a more businessy question on a personal level, has it made running your business easier, having a kind of more defined set way of doing things? Like, I'm not saying you do the same thing every time because every project's different, but you know yeah. each of the steps all the way. Has that helped you run your business easier? Yeah, hugely, yeah. yeah. Um, particularly because... What we've been able to do is take, you know, like you say, every project is different. There's always, you know, nuances and, and variations in a project, but the core steps for a lot of the, you know, for example, let's just take as, as an example, usability testing. So the client's already got an application. They, they've come to, they've come to us and say, we've got some problems and, and we think that these are the solutions. And, and what we'd probably recommend is that actually that a series of, of usability tests, be that moderated or unmoderated are, are uh, undertaken so that we're not just saying well we think this and you think that let's do that and let's see where we get to you know if we can do that and there's the budget there then that would be kind of a, a go-to and so from that perspective it's literally a, a series of tasks that we repeat okay they're always different in terms of the outcomes and the prep you know but from our perspective it's um, understanding what the product is and doing you know kind of spending some time with the product then coming up with a test plan writing a test plan report um, once that test plan has been uh, approved by the client, it's then recruiting user participants. You know, all of these things are step by step. So from that perspective, it's, it's so easy to train people um, when, when they come into the business. But also it's it's kind of you easily you can easily define where things are up to and it's a repeatable process. So it, it does make running things much, much easier. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And I, I think it's I think that's a really nice story. I think it's something we've struggled with sometimes of having different ideas and different approaches to things internally. Never mind yeah. when you've then add in clients and your partner's thoughts on it. Like makes it much more difficult sometimes. So it's great to see that that's helping a lot. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's very difficult, isn't it? But if I, I do think across the board from people I've spoke to um, in, in other agencies, where, where there's a kind of a productized offering, and, and ultimately it's not a product, it's a service. But if, if you can productize that service in some way, so development's really difficult because how do you? You know, every project needs to be developed differently. You know, you could you could probably um, productize the way that you 
manage that in terms of you could productize development sprints, for example, so key blocks of work, and we think you're going to need X number of sprints for the work to be completed. Um, but in, in, in design, you can kind of start to box things up. So for example, user experience audit, you know, depending upon the product, it's going to take X number of, of days or um, whatever. So you can kind of average that out and say, here's the different products, here's the outputs that you'll get from that, uh, which, which makes things so much easier when you can when you come into sell as well, because people like that, don't they? They like kind of things that are kind of boxed up and ready to go. And you say, and they say to you, okay, well, how much this? Well, it would depend on this. And would depend on, you can kind of say, that's the price. Yeah. And people like that certainty and they like that confidence of, of a company delivering something saying that's the price and we can tailor it, but ultimately that's what we think you need. That's what we think how much it's going to cost. So it's always it, interestingly for us as well, not only has it become um, easier to run the business, um, I would say it's become easier to close sales and not that people like it to be called that if anyone was listening, you know, but that ultimately is. is what, what businesses are trying to do, isn't it? And um, when you've got these kind of very bespoke projects that, that go on um, and there's lots of costings and lots of different, it, it's very difficult to, to go to, to a customer and, and deliver that format. And then there's reviews and there's internal meetings that take, there's a, that, that kind of pitch to close is a, it can be quite a lengthy time process. And so when you've got a product that feels to us like, well, it doesn't just feel, we know it is quicker to, to, to close that because you've, you've offered them, here's the product, here's the solution. There's going to be a few tailor, tailor-made tweaks that we need to do. We understand that every time, but essentially here's the pitch deck that we've got ready, prepared for it. Everything's there. The cost is there. The outputs are there. The delivery thing, you know, everything's, everything's there. It's, it's quite quite quick to do. Great. Yeah, super. It's super to see that success. Uh, another thing that you guys have been uh, successful, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I know this because we work with you, is is collaborating with other tech agencies and people like that. What what do you see the main advantage of collaboration? Uh, well, I think the, the the main advantage would be that you're essentially getting experts in specific areas to work on the areas that they're best at. Um, that would be for me the the main. There's lots of others, by the way, but that would be the main one for the customer, actually, as opposed to to us as companies. The the customers getting you know, the best. X or Y or Z along that process at various different stages, as opposed to we're very good at, at this, we're really good at this, and we're okay at that, and we're not so good at that. So you know they get a kind of a, a, a ninety, a hundred percent service, and then it drops to fifty, and then maybe down to thirty towards the end, or whatever the you know wherever the skill sets lie. I think I think that would be the main one, and and like I said, that's probably not for 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 me or for us as a company or for you or for. For, for you as a company but for the client that's their win i think if we will look at internally the way it would be is that it's just really good to work with other companies um that have good people that can share successes that can share best practice and, and share knowledge yeah share is a great word and i think it's used a lot around tech and I, I like working in the tech industry because of that is i think it is quite collaborative yeah. i i slightly disagree james i think so we used to say we do loads of different things in tech and actually specializing mm -hmm. now into mobile applications and the focus yeah. around that has really helped us streamline loads of problems and inter-team conflict about stuff. I actually think it's helped. It does help the clients. You're absolutely right. And, and you need to think about the first, but it's, I think it's helped us a lot on focusing yeah. ourselves as a group of people. And, and is that because, you know, when you say that, is, is that because now you, you can kind of align behind, this is what we do, this is what we're good at. So these are the types of people we need, these are the types of projects we want. Is, that, is it because of that? Yeah, and I think it's also nice to get everybody behind a single message. 
Uh, everyone yeah. can buy in, even if they were already here and part of these, what I'd say, doing all the little bits around our core offering. Everyone, mm -hmm. It's nice to get everyone pushing in one direction with us when you say you've got a specialty. And I think that really helps everybody understand when they come to work every day, not just as a sales piece and a marketing piece. When they come to yeah. work, this is what we, we do as a collective and we do it really well. Yeah, no, I, I would definitely agree with that. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, yeah, I th well, I think I echo everything you've just said there. I think <laughs> from a, like a recruitment perspective, it's much, much easier. Um, I think when you go and talk to people, just as we're doing now, you know, potential customers, any sort of expo or networking event, you can kind of be clear and say, this, you know, this is what we do. I, th I mean, I think there's always a risk um, in that you can become very, very niche and very specialized. And I've seen some adverse effects of that in, especially over the COVID period where someone's, you know, this speciality within this sector for this type of business, you know, that, that I think has worked. I've seen companies grow massively for that, but also it does put you at risk, doesn't it? It exposes you as if you're only in hospitality as an, as a, as a, as an example right now. Um, obviously the company's going to have a massive knock on because hospitality has been closed for the last two years or 18 mm. months, whatever it is. Um, but I think as a whole specializing on like, like you guys do now, you know, tech, a, a tech sector, you know, you, you're very clear on what it is you're looking for. Um, it makes it so much easier to, to recruit, to talk to people, to kind of get that message out there and, and be more targeted with that approach. Uh, yeah. Have you ever had, I don't know, like clients or people question when you're like, Oh, we want to introduce you to these guys. Cause you know, they're better at this than we are. So we'd like them to do that bit for you. And especially when it's a service close to what you do and they they probably think, well, oh, you guys could probably do it. Yeah, I think, um, I'm trying to think a bit of individual examples. I know we definitely have had, had that. I think um, one, of, one of the, a good example would probably be in and around, um, sort of because that because product development and um so yeah product development and product strategy ties in a lot to kind of like marketing strategy so what is this product and who is it going to be for and, and in in our workshops we'll often uh, isolate demographics so we'll kind of work out we'll, we'll create personas for people um so we'll say you know this application will uh, would be for somebody between the age of X and Y of, of, of Y skills or Y income or, you know, all of those types of things to try and pinpoint who, and then we'll give that person a name. So we've got an identity to kind of look back and say, would this application at various different stages, would this application serve Dave, for example, as, the, as our example persona? Mm -hmm. um, and if the answer is no, we failed, you know, so, uh, and, and, and customers then, when we've recommended, for example, somebody who's maybe um, in, in a freelancer who's uh, potentially good at, at um, launch marketing strategies for, for apps or marketing agencies that have got real good skill, you know, that, that for them is quite a bit confusing. Well, you did it at the start, and so why can't you do it later? And there's, there's, there's a, it's quite difficult to differentiate that out. Um, but I think once they see what that other company, person, whatever offers and the experience that they have, it can usually be negated. It, it is just a difficult conversation initially because they probably have built a relationship, particularly with us, because we're right at the front end a lot of the time. Yeah. They've built a relationship with us as, as kind of, well, you know, you're almost like our product ambassador now. You, you know everything about it. You've almost, you know, you've spent six weeks working on this. You, you're in bed with it. You know it inside out. Why can't you do X or Y or 
Um, and so it does become difficult and people, I mean, usually, which is always a nice thing, they don't want to let us go mm. and move on to a, you know, to work with other companies where they haven't had any experience with. But then it's, again, that kind of trust circle. If, if we trust that company, that person to do that, that, that job, hopefully that can be, um, can be passed on when in an introduction as well. Yeah, we we found that when you're in those initial meetings before you're a, a client, before they've come on board, laying out exactly what bit of the whole process you're going to do for them. Mm-hmm. Like, this is our yeah. bread and butter and where we're the, the best. We're the best at that yeah. bit. But to be honest, yeah. you'll need this bit at the end, this bit at the start, that bit over there. And mm-hmm. we know people that do that that are way better than us, but we won't be doing it. I think the earlier you can set that out to people, you're right, it kind of helps them get the picture of what's going on yeah. in the world. Yeah, and I think if there's if there's a an ongoing I mean, I guess there always would be, but you know, in 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 a client's mind if there's an ongoing relationship where you can kind of point to another client or another case study or another well we've done this with and this was the type of thing that we did with that, you know, that's always quite good I think to be able to point out something that's happened previously between companies. Um but yeah, I think actually you make a really good point there, actually mapping it out at the start, you know, going through that with them and saying, this is exactly what, what we'll do. And then this is where you'll need. And again, from us as a, as you know, we're not entirely productized, but we do have productized offerings. That's quite easy because it's kind of like, well, this is, this is what we'll, this is where we'll start. And it's mapped out in, in weekly sprints. So this is what we'll start. This is what we'll achieve over that period of time. And then at this date, give or take, you know, based on, on there being a lot of um, delays, which really from our perspective, there shouldn't be, then what we will then do is this, and that usually is introductions to, or, you know, um, at that point, they might be awaiting, the client might be awaiting funding for a specific reason, both internally or they're going out for funding, you know, so it might be that they're pitching it to internal stakeholders to get funding to move forward, but there's kind of like a start and end point in a lot of the processes we do, and then we can say, right, well, at that point, this is where you're going to need X, Y, Z. Yeah. Yeah, good. Uh, so that, it's really great when we talk, and I, know, I think we've said we've sung a lot of praises about collaboration. That people in the tech industry, especially, kind of get that. And like, uh, I think ten years ago there was a bit more resistance, and over the last ten years, everyone's worked out it just it's better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've got one question. Since we've said loads of nice things about collab, uh, yeah, does it ever become a sticking point for you when you know someone else is the specialist in that? And then you disagree over something in a project and you need them to do their bit and you're doing your bit. Does it, can it become a big problem or do you think most people are good enough to get past those issues when you disagree on something? Yeah, I think, I mean, it it doesn't really matter if, um, if it's kind of collaboration or an internal team, you know, I've got quite a lot of friends who, for example, will work at, um, big big companies where they'll have potentially internal design and dev and you know the design team will spec something which isn't easily done in development or um the, you know there's there's a, an element that the design team tackled it one way but then when it comes to the actual execution the development team say well we think it should be done in a different way or we've got some legacy system which means it has to be implemented in this way or and that can happen with <clears throat> internal excuse me or externally with you know collaboration and for me um i I think the solution to it is ongoing communication but when it's internal that feels like it should be easier than it is with collaboration because internally you know you might all be running the same 
Slack channels or Slack yeah. tool teams, you know, whatever you might have standups that involve design and dev internally. Whereas, you know, two collaboration teams that, that potentially isn't going to be happening. So it's trying to find a, a happy medium, I think, between when you've, when you've got um, two teams that are collaborating, how do you, and it takes some planning, but how can you have somebody or, or someone that, that stitches that, that process together so that when the designs are being done, they're being fed into development early before the clients kind of got access to them to make sure that technically what we're proposing can be done or when there's a tech, when there's a tech spec done before the designs are even done, you know, making sure that that's clear. These are the limitations of the software we're working with. Don't go and design, I don't know, you know, something that's completely way, way out of, of, um, scope or out of technical capabilities for this project at least it's it's making sure that i think i guess a lot of stuff can be you know the stuff we're seeing in the world right now could be solved with a little bit better communication but everything can be solved through, through communication but yes to answer your question there are sticking blocks which um, can occur and have occurred and i think it can be exacerbated when it's with collaborate like two teams collaborating because there's almost a little bit of start, stop, start, stop, as opposed to one whole, you know, process. And I think as two companies working together, it, it's it's on us to to get together and to find out a way of bridging that gap so that it, it can be delivered seamlessly for the client without that kind of design, stop, handover to development team, no communication, you know, development complete. Oh, but the designer proposed that. Well, we weren't told that. Well, it can't do that. You know, that sort of conversation. Yeah, and the, and the last thing anybody wants is for the client to be sat in the middle of that conversation being like, you guys are the experts, work yeah. it out. Like, why am I yeah. in the middle of this? Yeah, and and, and I mean, I don't, I don't, yeah, I think from a, um, we have had that, in, in all honesty, we have had that where there's been that kind of uh, gap between the two. And, and so the learnings from that is that if there is a way of, you know, it does sometimes mean that both both parties or three parties, however many teams are collaborating, there is a little bit of what I would call it unpaid work in that, you know, no one's being charged for that meeting that's taking place that's going to pull everyone together to make sure everything works and is aligned before the client gets hold of it or making sure that the tech specs understood or making all of that sort of stuff. But it, I guess it, ultimately it's it's well worth it for, for the greater good of, of, of project success for ongoing collaboration and for, for, for the customer yeah great absolutely agree mate oh, it's been it's been fantastic talking to you today games uh, thanks for taking some time out i think uh, it's really interesting how you took a a book and made it how your business works and then realized you were going to tweak stuff what was the book called again sorry just for our listeners uh, yeah it's called it's called sprint um it's it's by a guy well the, the guy who's kind of authored it is called jake knapp so it's jake k-n-a-double-p um, and there's a couple of co-authors on there. I forget the last one, which will is terrible. But um, uh, John Zeratsky is the is the other guy who's written it. Just because I used to listen to their podcast, so that's why I remember both of those. Um, but yeah, really good process. I think just in summary, for anyone, if you get a chance to read it, absolutely do. It talks about the ability to kind of understand problems collaboratively, work on solutions, prototype and test something in as little as five days. I think most people will reach the same conclusion as me is that realistically there needs to be more. So we built a process around it, you know, including user research, including iteration, all of that sort of stuff. But as a, as a core concept, it's a great way of kicking projects off and getting started. Great. Well, there you go, listeners. If you're interested in getting design <laughs> going, read that book or just give James a ring. Uh, yeah, I'm just sure he'll talk me. you through it. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, great. Uh, well, thank you everyone for listening, or if you're watching on YouTube, uh, to the second episode of the Digital Dissect podcast.
Uh, next time we've got Rob Sambach from Indie Spring who's going to be talking about the sustainability of flexible working. Um, but until next time, uh, we'll see you again. Thanks, James. Cheers, Dave. <laughs>